Hello and welcome to the Dime Alive podcast. I'm your host, Aloise Surfleet Middleton. Each week I show you how to build a life in alignment with your soul. I interview top thought leaders changing the world with their work. And I also show you how you can build a life in alignment with your soul, do your dharma, be happier, healthier, live longer and have a deep sense of unshakable inner peace. So without further ado, let's dive into the next podcast. Welcome to Kitty Talks. We share inspirational life stories that empower you to create yours. And I'm very excited. I have got a leading female entrepreneur on the show today, all the way from Iceland, or it could be Switzerland, or it could be Spain. (laughs) Um, Sigrun, welcome to Kitty Talks, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, and I'm currently in Switzerland, but yes, I'm from Iceland. Sigrun was just telling me she's got to do about three trips, literally, before she gets to Christmas. So, <laughs> um, I was so fascinated with your profile, with your story. It really resonated with me. I know you're into sort of female empowerment and entrepreneurship and showing the women the light of how they can really, really take back their power. Um, but I would love for you to explain to our audience a little bit about your history. I, I read in your bio, which I thought was wonderful, that your parents told you from a very young age that they that you could do anything. Yeah. Um, and that's very alien to me. So I'd love for you just to tell our audience really about your upbringing and how it led you into your path. Yeah. Oh, this fits perfectly because uh, recently I gave a brand new talk, which uh, taps a little bit more into my why and and why I have the beliefs that I have today. So I'm from Iceland and growing up, my parents uh, had their own business. It was a small dry cleaning shop. So, you know, not a fancy entrepreneur model, but you know, solid business providing for us. And so I guess I always felt I would at some point have my own business, but wasn't really planning to be an entrepreneur. So I, this, this belief that I could do anything didn't just come from my parents to have their own business, but uh, you've got to understand I'm growing up in the 70s, 80s in Iceland. This reveals my age. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in 1975, women took to the streets in Iceland. 90% of all women wow. went to the streets in Reykjavik, Iceland and protested inequality And, you know, these were women who maybe had part-time jobs or they felt they didn't get paid the same as men. And we know that was a fact and is still today. Mm. And even housewives, they uh, demonstrated as well and didn't want to cook for their families or take care of their kids that day. Uh, Sounds a bit brutal, but it wasn't. It was just really a movement for one day, 24th of October, 1975. And the country was, you know, in operation. They couldn't do nothing. Grounds they couldn't run the country. Mm. Uh, they needed the women. So the women demonstrated their power in just saying, hey, I'm not working today. I'm not cooking today. I'm not cleaning today. I'm not baby, you know, taking care of my kids today. Mm. And this had the effect that a year later, 
parliament put uh, Equal Pay Act law into place. And this led to uh, a movement, like women started to talk about this. They didn't forget this day. This day was so special. Mm. Uh, and even, you know, my mother has never called herself a feminist. She would never say she was a feminist, but she was there. She was demonstrating, uh, working as a secretary, actually, just before they, they bought their business. And what happened was in 1980, we elected the first worldwide first female president. And this would not have happened if the mm. demonstration hadn't happened uh, five years earlier. So I am nine years old when we have a female president and my mother, again, not especially into gender equality or, you know, fe feminist movement, but she takes me to the house of the newly elected female president. And there are 150 people outside her house waving her and, you know, congratulating her. And I am there and I, maybe I don't remember it really, but my mom has told me that we were there and I've seen oh. the pictures. And I'm like, wow. So nine years old, I see a woman become a president. Mm -hmm. What was fascinating beyond it was a woman. She was single. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Was, uh, had adopted daughter. So she was a single mother. Yeah. Wow. And, and it wasn't uh, her own child. <laughs> and I don't know if this happened before or later, but, uh, she basically, had gone through breast cancer and one of her breasts had been removed. Wow. And we all knew this. And, you know, she was also not from politics. She was completely independent and had studied, um, I think, history of philosophy and theater. Wow. So completely yeah, yeah. alien the to the political scene. Now, president in Iceland doesn't have power like a president in the U.S., but it's okay. still a very, it's, it's a head of state and a, and a strong figure. She was president for 16 years. Wow. So growing so up. Early. Like, yeah. 1980, that's very early for a woman to be, you know, yeah. in that position. Yeah, way ahead of. It was the first democratically elected. She was not the first female president in the world. There were others, uh, but she was first elected one. The others were some dictatorships around the world and things like that, right. or inherited uh, presidency. Yeah, but she was there. And then what happened shortly afterwards, women had still not forgotten that demonstration in 1975 mm. and beyond having a female president that doesn't have much power, women weren't happy. Like this was not enough. And the political parties were not putting women into the spots, you know, into the light, mm. you know, they had no chance of being elected when they were on the list of a political party. They were in the back, you know, in mm. the bad seats that never get into parliament mm. So women from left, middle, and right sat together, early 80s, and decided to create Women's Alliance. It was a political party without actually being political. Like They didn't care if you were left, middle, or right. Now, this is almost unthinkable right now where everything is so completely left or completely right, but they decided to work together on increasing the representation of women in, and uh, in Parliament. What a beautiful, that was their goal. beautiful example and, of women collaborating. Find, yeah, and find the common ground for women's issues, like things yes. like equal pay and other uh, things that, you know, where 
not being addressed by men in parliament. This women's alliance were not planning to be going on forever. They were just there to push the agenda. Mm. You know, please put women onto your political lists. Mm. So they were active for 15 years. And women uh, participation in parliament went from 6% to 25% during that time. So when they closed down the Women's Alliance, they had achieved their goal of putting women's issues on the agenda. So when you put this all into light, you know, there might be other women growing up in Iceland at the same time, but it didn't maybe affect them as much as me. For me, this was so powerful mm. that uh, by the, I, I thought always the whole time I could do anything. Whoever, I could become president if I wanted. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. And that coupled obviously with your parents, you know, yeah. reiterating that and then having that as a role model is just, and that's just, I can't get over that's just incredible on so many fronts because it's so early, you know, to that, for that to happen. And I, and I have to say, like, as I think I said to you before we came on the podcast, you know, I've got one of my best friends is Icelandic and I love, I love the fierceness and the bravery and that they just, my, you know, her friend and her friends, they just speak their minds, you know, and being British, <laughs> that is not something that we are very good at doing. Yeah. So this is the scene as I'm growing up and, I firmly believe I can do anything. I've been, Mm -hmm. you know, instilled this belief in me from my parents, but I'm also seeing it. And that's the thing. I don't think it's enough to to tell your kids something. You need to see it. Mm -hmm. To believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw it and I started to believe it or or believed it. And then uh, 16 years old, uh, I am in a gymnasium or high school, whatever you call it. And I am loving making my own clothes. And uh, I was already knitting and making my own clothes by the age of 12. And by the age of 16, I wanted a more advanced course. So I wanted to learn how to do patterns. And uh, I joined a dressmaker's course, how Mm. to make your own clothes. And I'm sitting there. This is at a dressmaker's home. And we are eight, eight women, I believe. And I was 16 and everyone else was 40, 50 years old. And I'm sitting there and I just listen to them. I have nothing to contribute to their conversation. But what I experienced in probably those eight weeks that the course lasted was that the women don't believe in themselves. They had all these dreams, they had all these hopes for their future and they had not done any of it. Mm. So I was seeing this contrast of this, you know, female president, Mm. women's alliance, and then the women that, the normal women, let's say, uh, didn't see how they could make their dreams come true. They said, oh, because I had children, because I got married, because I don't have the skills, time, money, my boss, who, you know, all these excuses. Mm -hmm. And I got extremely frustrated, angry, upset. All these feelings were just like, I need to do something about it. Now I was 16. I had no clue what I could do about it. I was not going to change these women. And I wasn't upset at them. I realized I was upset at society for allowing them to use those excuses. Because if a man would use those excuses, we would say, well, that's your own problem, right? Mm -hmm. Just go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But women uh, still, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. have more acceptance from society to, to bring up all these excuses instead of saying, well, why don't you do it? You know, you have a husband too, or figure it out. Mm. 
And uh, so I became a strong feminist. You know, this women's alliance is going on in the background. And there's even women that call themselves red socks. Uh, and I loved wearing red. And, <laughs> and, you know, I would wait for doors to close. If, I, if a man would open a door for me, I would, you know, I, I became really kind of strong in this opinion that we need to change this. But at the same time, I realized I did not want to go into politics. Right. So I was there 16 not knowing what I really wanted to do in life, except I had already decided to study architecture. So I was planning to move uh, to Germany from Iceland to study architecture. And uh, I just knew this had to change and I didn't know what would be my role in it. But there was something in my conscious or subconscious that I knew I would be a role model. Wow. And that's just amazing at that age to have such a clear insight into your mission. Yeah. And I didn't know that this was my mission, but I, I, it was like a period, like it's, it's typical, I guess, you know, you will find these things when you are a child or a teenager. Like I felt so strongly, I was so upset. Mm. Um, I, I, I said, I can't believe it. It's worse to be a woman than a man. Like I had this epiphany that we are somehow, you know, can't have the same things in life. And I made some bold decisions. I decided not to have children. Right. Really? Uh, I do have stepsons today. And mm-hmm. I have a wonderful stepson, which I've been a stepmom to for 11 years. But yes, I decided not to have children. Because? It because these bad. women all said because of children, they couldn't make their dreams come true. Right. Oh, wow. And, and that was a conscious choice at that age. Yeah. Now, I've never been much for dolls or anything. So I guess I may have made that choice anyway, but it was still made at that time listening to these women. Another thing, I was never going to let a man stop me. Mm. And I made that decision in my head. So, and this is just before I have my first boyfriend. Right. And later in life, he told me he didn't want to move to Germany with me where I could study architecture. And I told him then, well, then I'm going alone. Because at 16, I had made a choice. I was not going to let man stop me. Wow. And would you say that that stayed with you and that's, that's gone through? Absolutely. Like- it's about finding the right man. I think, I think Cheryl Sandberg or some other women have also said that the, the first thing a woman needs to do when she's looking for a partner in life is to find the right man. Because uh, the right man will not stop a woman from following her dreams. Mm. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. When I met my husband, I was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm taking over the world and you're either on, in line with it or not. And he was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We shouldn't change who we are. I think it's attractive, isn't it, in a woman who knows what they want. And, you know, absolutely. Whether it's yeah. the right person. Yeah. So you went to study architecture, but I, yeah. I was again intrigued because it sounded to me, you know, reading through your background and your history and your bio was that you've been very tuned in to your inner path because you, you didn't actually, you didn't actually build, haven't actually built a building, have you? You kind of came out of that career really quickly. What was, talk me through that. How did you know that that was the right choice for you? That's interesting because, you know, I had decided 11 years old to study architecture. Uh, and then I go and study architecture. And Mm -hmm. then two years before I graduate, I realize this is not my passion. Uh, I loved studying it. I loved the combination of creativity and science, you know, like math and, and, and design. 
but I tried to work an architecture office in my vacations. Mm-hmm. And I realized this, this is going to keep me small. Because I was, I saw immediately I was not going to be like Norman Foster and these famous architects. Like, like okay, I, I don't have what it takes to be one of those famous, super famous architects. And I will be in a small architecture office with three, four people. And I just saw my life in front of me. And I'm like, this is not the life I want. <laughs> I was like, I'm meant for something else. Yeah. I'm not meant to be locked into an office from nine to five. And, and sometimes we have income because we have a big project. And sometimes we don't have income because we have no projects. And I was mm. like, no, this is not me. And maybe it scared me that, you know, a few months they couldn't pay me, the architects and things like that. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I just, I, I, and it was not so exciting. And at the same time, the uh, internet comes along. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in the 90s. Uh, you know, we had got email addresses at my university in Germany. You know, you had to press three buttons to send an email. And then the next time I sent an email, I had already forgotten which buttons to press on the keyboard. Um, and I was like, this is exciting. This is super exciting. So I had the chance to do my final thesis at the computer science department. So I designed a 3D world instead of a physical house. And that was, I was hooked. Virtual reality, I thought, this is the future. Now, this is 1998. Virtual reality is finally coming to us today. Yeah, absolutely. So I was too early. I was too early in this field, but uh, I knew there was something more digital, something more exciting, internet, online, connecting with people. I did my own website. I was, you know, taking pictures of people, uploading to my website, creating my own little, you know, social media in that sense. and that was hooked. So I knew I was not going to do architecture. My mom was very disappointed after yes, all these course. years <laughs> studying. Her daughter's <laughs> gone to architecture school and oh, <laughs> Yeah. So that, but I was like, I, this was so weird. I just knew it was not my passion. So mm-hmm. I had no problem. And I didn't see it as a wasted time. Even if I had spent like a year learning German and six and a half years studying architecture, I didn't see it as a waste of time. It was just more like, okay, I'm on this path. Mm. Let me figure out what the next step is. And But what I love about what you're saying is what we talk about on this podcast is how your highest excitement is like a compass. You know, and you were inadvertently following this excitement. You know, the internet for you was so exciting. Like, how could that be wrong? And of course, this is what, you know, we talk about and we unpack on this podcast is actually that is our inner sat-nav. That is God's way of saying, this is your path. Follow it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was so weird because I, 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 I hear people like, how did you know? And I'm like, I just knew. Mm. I just knew that I had to follow this new direction. Mm. And what's so wonderful about you as as well is because obviously a lot of us get bogged down in that societal conditioning, you know, whereas your conditioning was very much, you could do anything and your parents had reinforced that and you'd stayed in that conversation. And of course, you know, it wasn't even a doubt in your mind. How could this excitement be wrong? Whereas a lot of other people can get trapped in, oh no, I'm going to disappoint somebody or, you know, I've studied for however long. So just incredible that you just honed in on, on this path. Yeah. 
I still, I was at the uh, time where I felt like, okay, I still need to start to work. So, you know, studying the next thing, I thought I'll, I'll do that on the side. So I did move back to Iceland and I started to work in a software company mm-hmm. because this was the time around the dot-com boom around the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Anyone could get a job in a software I company. <laughs> you, you barely needed to know how to program or anything. Uh, they would hire you. And uh, that was a great chance because I didn't need the degree to get a job. And, but I did a very conscious choice when I showed up on my first uh, day at my first proper job after studies. I showed up in a suit. Mm-hmm. And this was a statement. So I was a regular employee, like a, not even a project manager, just like, you know, regular person. I called myself an information architect. So I was helping designing information. Three months later, I was already a manager. Dressed to impress. <laughs> yes. I dressed up as if I was already a manager. Nice. Make it till you make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it works. It so works. It's the, just the energy of it. And that's how people saw you. And of consequently, they responded to that. Exactly. Wow. And then was that the company that you went on to be CEO in? Or was it a different... Uh, it was the next one. So I was there for two years. They hired too many people. Uh, I saw I saw the things go wrong myself. Like mm-hmm. Even if I became a, a manager or a product manager, whatever I was there, I was not in the management team. Uh, but I could see that they were spending too much money and earning too little. Mm-hmm. And when they hired programmers that knew less about programming than me, I was mm-hmm. like, this is going south ways. And I started to ask questions. They didn't like it. So I was probably one of the first to let go because, mm-hmm. you know, a woman asking questions in a company that's 90% men, let's get mm-hmm. rid of her. Um, and it was a shock, but I used the opportunity to do a, a entrepreneurship course. Mm-hmm. I had not done any courses on business at this time. And I learned to do a business plan, but I was too scared to start a business. Uh, this is 2002 and I was, yeah, this was just, I wasn't ready. I was more thinking about where's my next paycheck going to come from and how going to pay my mortgage off the flat that I had bought. And I went with a business plan to a company where my sister was already working. She said, this is a fun little website company with 15 employees. You're going to love it. Uh, they need you. Uh, she's always been a big supporter of what I do. But of course, this was a difficult time to get a job. But with a business plan, they're like, Absolutely. okay, we'll hire you. And the, and the suit. And the suit. <laughs> <laughs> so there I was, a year later, I have became the lead project manager, the main person to do most of the contracts with most of the clients. So small company. So I just jumped into any project. My sister was in charge of the programmers and I was more doing sales. And uh, one day I come to work and the company has been sold. and it was sold with many other companies. It was a a guy who uh, owned a lot of companies. He got tired of the media in Iceland, decided to move to London. He would get uh, more freedom there. People wouldn't bother him too much, and uh, he sold everything, and this website company was the smallest company owned, so for a while, nobody spoke to us. Two, three weeks, nobody came along to tell us what was going on. But I had time to think and I thought, well, maybe I can become the CEO. Mm -hmm. So 
I made a few few phone calls, uh, totally shitting my pants. <laughs> and I asked, what kind of information do you need from me? Do you have someone in mind already? When I knew who the owner, owners were. And they said, no, we have no one in mind so far. So please send us your thoughts on the company. A memo, two-page memo, current situation, and, and what do you see for the future? And I, have no ac- I had no access to the financial data of the business, mm. but I knew what we were selling. I had been selling it. I had contacts mm. to the customers. So I sent that memo off and yeah, long story short. Amazing. I got the job without any business education or any business experience. Wow. But just having the confidence alone to do that is incredible. I was scared. <laughs> But you did it. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And I think I'd love to get your thoughts on this, actually, because in my work with women, and I work predominantly with women, it's confidence is the thing I really find that is lacking across the board, you know, is that we're not confident to just do exactly what you did. A man would step in and go, I can do that. But it's more unusual for a woman to do that. I did ask. I asked, I think my sister was the first one I asked. I said, you know, should I go for it? C said yes. And it was important to me because C was working in the company. So I would, of course, you know, yeah, become her boss. Ally, yeah. Yeah. Then I asked my parents. I know my, my dad was super supportive when I asked him, I know nothing about, uh, you know, bookkeeping or, 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 you know, the accounting. And he said, no, no, you have people for that. My mom, a bit more skeptical, like always. He's always the careful one. And I realized I rather, and I was actually dating a guy for a couple of months at that time. And I asked him, I said, go for it. So yes, men tend to go for it. And I took one day off from work uh, as this was going on. I sent off the memo. I took one day off from work. And then it turns out it was the friend of the company that bought, like it was not exactly the same company that I'd sent the memo to, but they were somehow connected. and. He comes for a visit exactly on the day that I took off because I was studying for an exam. I was studying computer science on the side. And uh, I panicked. I was like, this was my chance to meet my potential new boss and and, and ask for the job. So I called my brother for some reason, you know, not that my brother is connected in any way. I was like, what do I do? And my brother said, well, this guy owns this company. Maybe you can call them. And so I called that company and I said, can I have his mobile number? I need to reach this guy. And they said, well, we don't give that out. I said, well, I need to urgently reach him. And I made something up. And then I was there like, (gasps) do I make the phone call? Do I not make it? And I decided this was going to change my life or I would not go for it. Ladies listening to this, the moral of this story is if you want something in life, go for it. Don't let anything hold you back because that's incredible. You know, it's, it's testament, isn't it, to really going after your dreams and just having that determination. Like there's, there's elements of your story which are very in parallel to my own story. You know, I've had a couple of occasions where buying my first property, I do a lot of property developing. And I asked everybody, should I buy this property? Should I buy this property? And of course, everybody said yes. And so I ended up doing it. And that was the first of my portfolio. And then the other thing that really resonated with me is um, 
the nonprofit that I run, I had to do the same thing. I had to get a mobile number from somebody, completely blag it and just, you know, get, get an, an introduction to them. But it's worth doing these things, people, because they make a difference in our lives. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think this phone call, it was the scariest thing that I've done. Mm. Because people say, oh, I jumped out of an airplane or whatever. But this phone call was the scariest thing that I've done. And, but it also changed my life the most. Mm, of course. Yeah. Um, because what happened, I was hired, totally inexperienced. Uh, the, the, the guy who owned the company, he loved my guts. He loved how bold I was. Yeah. Uh, and he said, I'm going to mentor you. Wow. So I, I got... Basically, a free MBA before I did my actual MBA. I did an MBA later on at London sure. Business School, and uh, which he then paid for as a bonus for uh, uh, you know doubling the value of the business. Incredible in a couple of years. But uh, this experience of of jumping into a project without really knowing what I was doing—that's where I learned the most, and everyone learns the most. Absolutely. I was just about to say that, you know, we, that's how we learn, isn't it? You know, throw yourself in the deep end and you learn quick. Yeah. 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 So just incredible background and wonderful stories. And I know what's amazing now is that you're kind of mentoring hundreds of other women. I don't know how many, hundreds, thousands of other women to, to now take their rightful place and grow their online businesses. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing currently? Yeah. So six years ago, I started my own business after being 10 years running other people's businesses and getting the MBA. So now I have the business education and the business experience. And six years ago, I started my own business. That was after losing my job twice in two years and being sick for seven months. So I got multiple signs from the universe that it's time. And I think everyone needs to see those signs and finally act on them. And I... I started, uh, you know, not really knowing what I was doing because even though I had been a CEO and had the business education, uh, online business is different. And I felt I had to kind of relearn and learn it, uh, you know, how marketing online really works. But a backbone of everything is really business. Business is common sense and basics. Uh, But on top of it comes online marketing. And there I struggled a little bit. And also... I ignored the fact that I was good at building businesses. So I was trying to do something else first. Uh, But you've got to listen to Mm. what your zone of genius is. Absolutely. So six years ago, I started working one-on-one. Then in my second year, I I, I went into doing groups. And then uh, my fourth year in business, I started to offer a a one-year, I call it Six Rooms Online MBA, Samba program, where I help uh, women. It's a signature program, isn't it? Yeah, my signature program where I help women uh, build their businesses. Uh, I have women from zero to uh, close to a million dollars in revenue. So I have the whole range in in four different programs. And really, they have grown with me. I've grown with them. And uh, I am on a mission to accelerate gender equality through female entrepreneurship. This tagline was always there lingering, but I would, didn't know how to phrase it properly until maybe a year ago. So my why from 16 years old mm. has been my driving force, uh, but putting it into uh, a sentence uh, was missing. 
I started with turning your passion into profits. I've used various versions of that. And now really it's about accelerating gender equality through female entrepreneurship, because I believe that women need to have their own money, their financial independence and their own wealth. And um, there's a recent study by World Economic Forum that Iceland is only 23 years away from gender equality. And I thought, now that can't be true. 23. Um, (laughs) If anyone was being ahead, I thought it would be less than that. Well, uh, we still, you know, even if Iceland has been number one for the last Mm. decade in gender equality, it's not because Iceland is so good. It's because everyone else is so bad. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Of all the public companies in Iceland, there's not a single female CEO right now, which is devastating. Um, But yeah, we have a female prime minister, you know, we, there's a lot of equality and the way World Economic Forum calculates gender equality is based on political representation, access to education, access to jobs or, or equal pay, uh, health. Mm. But I'm like, where is the wealth factor? Mm. And that is the one that's important to me. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you're so right, because otherwise if we don't have our own wealth, we don't have our own freedom. And also the other thing I really think with women is the more money we have, the more good we do. You know, for me, you know, money for women equals good for the community because we support each other and we give back. And so, yeah, I would be totally with you that it's really important that women are independent financially. Well, a woman that is wealthy is more likely to actually help others than a man that is wealthy. Mm. sadly enough. Uh, So it's not just about that it helps the whole world that women become more wealthy, but true gender equality comes from women having that power. Uh, You know, I have seen so many cases, let's talk about, you know, sexual abuse, for instance. Mm. Uh, A woman cannot go after and and have a private case if she doesn't have money. Mm, Sure. And she can be shut down if a powerful man with money decides mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. and these things have really uh well it's rebalancing it's isn't it it's rebalancing yeah. you know the patriarchal society so women take their rightful place amongst men yeah. um and that has to happen on the financial aspect as well as everything else yeah mm. and one of the things that uh you know when i was running those companies before typically i was working for a venture capital company like investors that would just hire ceos and I realized I didn't want to be in that world. So mm. it also became my passion to help women, as you do as well, find your passion and turn that into a business from mm. your knowledge, from your, from your experience, from your expertise. And I see so many women possibly having like almost like a second career. They've done something in corporate, mm. but then they realize they want to do something completely different with their second half of their lives. Well, and, I... Uh, yeah. I'm just going to, well, I just, again, we have quite similar stories. Like I worked for a venture capitalist for quite a long time as well. And it just was so against my values. Yeah. I just couldn't, I was so out of alignment because of the way they operated, the way they did business, the way they treated people. It was, you know, I, like you, I can see why women don't survive in that world because it is so cutthroat. And that's why I've come up with this, like, you know, it doesn't resonate with everyone, but it's like uh, the self-made phrase. Mm. I know there are many ways how to define it. But to me, self-made is that there's no outside funding. There's no, nobody giving you money. You have basically through bootstrapping or through your own money built a business. 
And uh, that is really what I'm about. And I, that's where I think uh, the wealth will come from for women. Now it takes possibly longer. And that's why we need to think a little bit bigger. You know, women are starting more companies, more and more companies, but they tend to stay small. Right. So I really want to encourage women to think bigger. Mm. You know, that's why I talk a lot about my revenue. I am very transparent in my business, how much money I make. And, you know, I, I had my whole community cheering me on two years ago when I made my first uh, million in annual revenue. Like I, I made it about the mission because it's not that I will sit on the money and, and you know, <laughs> sure. I live in the same house. I drive the same car. I, you know, maybe I wear nicer clothes. I don't know. Maybe I'm going more on vacation, but the money is to invest forward. You know, I'm always have the next project, uh, like the conference that I'm planning next year. Mm. Yeah. So tell us, obviously the self-made conference is coming up in Iceland. Tell us a bit about it and how people can get involved. So I realized at some point, and this is probably two years ago already that, okay, I've achieved this million dollars in annual revenue. Great goal. I'm a role model for women. I want other women to achieve it too but I will not change the world through online business. Mm. Online business is great, but I need something more of a platform movement statement. And uh, I started to think of a conference. And I've been uh, visiting conferences very actively, uh, pretty much since my second year in business. Uh, gone to two, three conferences a year, and I started to see what I liked, what I didn't like, and what was missing. Mm -hmm. And there are so many conferences that are, you know, mostly men mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, not enough female speakers and not enough speaking to thinking bigger. Women have no problem starting a business today, mm -hmm. but they often tend to stay very small. Only 10% of female-led companies actually have employees. Right. Only 1.7% of women cross the million dollars in annual revenue as a, a man is 3.5% more likely to cross the million. Mm. Like this is the gap. My, women have actually created uh, what I call the, you know, if we close the gender pay gap in corporations, women have created a new one in entrepreneurship. Oh, they charge too little and they pay themselves too little. Mm. And so all of these things come together. Like where are these issues being addressed? In, in online entrepreneurship. They are not because typical online conferences are all about social media. How do I increase my organic Facebook reach or things like that? But it has to be about more. And I start to think that I need to have a conference. And I thought to myself, Nordic Business Forum was one of the best corporate conferences I've been to in the recent years. And then, you know, I have been, you know, to many Tony Robbins uh, events and I love dancing on stage myself at my life events. And I thought, I'll merge these two experiences together and create an amazing conference for women who want to think bigger and take their business and life to the next level so that we can all together accelerate gender equality. Mm, beautiful. And when is the conference? It's in June 18th and 19th, 2020 okay. in Reykjavik, Iceland. And mm -hmm. it's international. We have speakers coming from all over the world, from Australia, US, Canada, Europe, and attendees. I'm seeing more and more people from Australia. So I don't know what happened wow. there. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Good excuse uh, to come to Iceland. Yeah. People are planning their uh, holidays or going with their clients or their teams and making it really into experience. Now, I did pick the dates on purpose because it's 24-hour daylight. 
uh, around that time. And June 19th will be 105 years since women in Iceland got voting rights. Oh, fantastic. That's beautiful. Fantastic. That's definitely a good omen. Wonderful. Oh, well, we'll make sure we will put all of the details in the summit. So I presume people can still get tickets if they're interested. They're on sale now. Excellent. Yeah, the early bird tickets are on sale right now. And then uh, I would highly suggest that you do something around it, not just come for the conference, you know, take your family with you or your clients or both. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Iceland is an incredible place. Absolutely. It has to be visited. So um, yeah, the last trip we did, we did snowmobiling, which was very cool. So yeah, there's all manner of things that people can do. So yeah, absolutely. If you're interested, we will put all the details in the show notes. Sigrun, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming and sharing your story. Very inspirational, really, really inspirational. And, and very empowering for me who I would like to be a mother. I'm not a mother yet, but one of the things I would love to instill in my children is a lot of the values that you've just talked about and about how, you know, I truly believe if we support children in the belief that they are capable of doing anything that they're truly passionate about, then that's how we will change this world. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Kitty. And by having more female role models, our next generation will believe in their dreams. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Dharma Life podcast. I do hope you enjoyed this episode. Please come over and say hello on my Instagram, our Facebook group. And also, please let me know what you thought. So if you are listening, please take a screenshot of the podcast that you are listening to. Tag me on Instagram and I will reshare your post. And please let me know what it is that you got out of today's episode. Remember, when we do our Dharma, we are happier, healthier, we live longer, and we have a deep sense of unshakable inner peace. Mm-hmm.